First, uh, to begin with, uh, as a kind of general update for podcast, I know we haven't done one of these in, in a fair bit, and I'm pretty sure I said that in the last episode, too. The uh, just, just the fact of the matter is, is that there's just not that much lore going on uh, on the on the 40k side of things. Um, I guess to to just uh, as a as a form of a general update, you know, we've got the uh, these arcs, these uh, these giant space hulks that are being sent out from uh, Abaddon and this new, uh, I don't know what to call them, like a demigod, uh, wants to be a real god, kind of an ongoing theme in the recent uh, 40k lore sections. Um, uh, sending out these, uh, these giant space hulks, the Arcs of Omen, uh, to go out into the galaxy to uh, collect artifacts from various sources and... Uh, most recently, we've had the the second book come out um, that is spearheaded by Angron, literally, uh, and uh, and we have our first kind of appearance of Chaos Primaris and Chaos Sisters of Battle, which is kind of cool. Uh, but that does leave a lot to be desired for out here on the Eastern Fringe, which I suppose is, I mean, it's pretty par for the course. I, I kind of feel... Uh, a similar uh, moment for the for the leagues of Votan, who still lack uh, their own book. Um, but you know, it just I don't want to just create uh, empty episodes that don't really have to do with anything. So I've kind of been saving up uh, my karma, saving up my points, saving up my hit points. And uh, it was a comment made by uh, Tosh, who is one of our. Uh, regulars on the Tau 40k Discord, uh, and they they asked kind of a pretty benign question of like, but, but what is life like in the Commonwealth? Now it's been a little bit, uh, it's been a little while, so just as a reminder, uh, I, uh, being a very big fan of the novella Broken Sword, uh, where they depict, or, or the Tau use the term Commonwealth to describe their own nation rather than empire, uh, and I, 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 I too follow uh, in these uh, footsteps. I like to call it the Commonwealth. Um, uh, if you are, uh, if you are new to the podcast, I also tend to drift a little bit over to. I guess it would be uh, left uh, in 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 my opinions of the Tau, in that I do believe that they are. Uh, of all the 40k species, factions, sub-factions, etc., uh, I do uh, think of them as the good guys. Um, now, if you've just eye-rolled yourself uh, out of listening to this podcast, I, I totally empathize with you. Um, however, I think it's this episode that's going to shed a little bit more, a little bit more light on uh, what it's like to actually live. Uh, amongst the Tau in the current era, um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about the caste system, just as kind of like a primer. Um, I've been uh, stalking the various Reddit halls, and you know there, there's a lot of people who have very strong opinions about the caste system. So I think that that's a good place to start. 
We'll move right along into what life might have been like before the third sphere, which is kind of what we consider, you know, the big chunk of our, our data comes from uh, sixth, seventh, well, really actually fourth through eighth edition. Um, and then we'll cap off with the fourth sphere, uh, a couple of the other atrocities that the Tao have, have done in order to make sure that they're not as noble bright as you might think, uh, but, but also understand where, uh, where their darkness is. And then we'll, you know, we'll kind of round out with the fifth sphere if we have time. Um, okay. So the caste system, I think that, you know, one of the things that ends up happening whenever anybody gets a new codex is that a lot of, uh, a lot of new fans to our hobby, uh, want to think of themselves as being, you know, kind of, kind of in the present, like this is, this is the cutting edge. This is the bleeding edge of the narrative. And it's relatively new for the parent company of this beloved franchise to provide kind of exhaustive details about where the narrative is back when I first started in third, third edition, um, the, the narrative was basically what it is, which is that, uh, it is the grim darkness of the 41st millennia and there is only war. Um, it's kind of perpetually in that 41st millennium, you know, nine, 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 dot nine, 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 you know, infinite. And, uh, and nothing really changes. Um, all of the stories that are people's favorites typically take place in the past. Gaunt's Ghosts, Eisenhorn, all of that is a couple hundred years ago. Um, and the Tao, uh, their history is relatively new. Uh, in the last 5,000 years, basically, they, they've, you know, they've come into their own. They've uh, adopted space travel, faster than light travel, and, um, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's always difficult when a new codex comes out and doesn't really take into consideration this wealth of detail. And so we get this kind of dreaded word retcon, um, which is something that at least as a long in the tooth neck beard like myself, um, you know the redcon is is a is a is a pretty heavy handed word. Forty um, k is incorporative; it's an incorporative hobby um, and takes into consideration things like written in the seventies, back when you know it was only fantasy, or in the eighties when Warhammer Forty K was originally just supposed to be kind of like an expansion uh, module to the original fantasy. Um, you know, but also, you know, people don't like to take into consideration that like the notions of copyright and franchise and licensing and everything was not as strict as it is now. And that's why you have such uh, such characters like, uh, I believe, you know, Clouseau Obi-Wan is a is a 40K Inquisitor uh, or Judge Dredd is just lifted directly from the pages of 2000 AD. Uh, it's just it's it's really difficult, I think, for newer gamers to realize how complicated and nuanced the 40k universe is but you know we endeavor um i say that because i regard you know early white dwarf novels i mean white dwarf has changed like like four times uh over the course of my life and probably eight times in in, the, in, in its total existence as of right now um white dwarf used to be how games workshop communicated with the fan base and so there were a lot of articles, a lot of really important articles. Actually, in the new uh, upcoming Warhammer Plus uh, update on Wednesday, the uh, there's going to be three White Dwarves 
or excuse me, two White Dwarf uh, editions and the original Tau Codex that is going to be made available to the public. And I highly recommend anybody uh, take a look at those because it really uh, shows the foundation for what, what the Tau are as a faction. Uh, which is a long way of me kind of prepping that I'm going to use a lot of old data um, that you might think is retconned. But in my defense, I don't think Games Workshop ever considers anything retconned unless they expressly state it. Um, so let's jump in then. So the Tau uh, circa 35th millennium encounter the... Adeptus Mechanicus. They are a cave-dwelling, plains-dwelling species. They're pre-tech, you know, what we would call even even basic technology. They're uh, basically hunter-gatherers, and the Adeptus Mechanicus kind of slates their world to be uh, categorically uh, cleansed, uh, sterilized, and made bay for you know who knows. But during the time period of Millennium Thirty-Five, there uh, it's a period of uh, particularly. Uh, violent warp storms and the the galaxy is kind of tipped into like a mini like let's call it like a like a like a mini dark age where travel gets really hard uh, additionally there's a uh, there's a period of time where there are two imperiums one one called the interregnum uh and uh, it's actually a kind of i i think i've mentioned it before it's it's my favorite period in imperial uh history and it's it's really the last gasp of the emperor's uh, kind of atheistic uh, approach to technology and and society, and the takeover of the ecclesiarchy. Now that's that's kind of like what we know is you know lots of lots of grim darkness, lots of skulls and things like that. Uh, the Moira schism also happens. That's a kind of a a version of this kind of internecine conflict, in which uh, in which the Adeptus Mechanicus. Uh, kind of purges itself of the remaining uh, unorthodox elements uh, within itself. Uh, there's there's also a high uh, number of uh, dark angel fallen sightings, uh, and they might even be the architects of all of this. But here, let's hope we get a book series out of it. Needless to say, Tau is forgotten, and uh, evolution uh, takes its course. Now, <clears throat> at around this time, we have the protocasts, uh, the plains-dwelling hunters, uh, that we have the uh, kind of trades people of the river systems. Uh, Tau is an arid planet, doesn't have a lot of water, very shallow oceans. Uh, we have the valley dwellers, um, and we have these uh, literally winged uh, mountain-dwelling uh, Tau that, that actually use thermals to kind of float or glide or, you know, dare I say, fly. And it it, it's these proto-societies that form the foundations of the castes. Now, a lot of people hear that word caste system, which gets institutionalized by the ethereals once they show up several th uh, about a thousand years later uh, and unite the species, uh, thus ending uh, kind of like, let's call it World War Tau, uh, if, uh, I mean, for want of a better description, the age of Montda. Uh, but <clears throat> they... The ethereals show up and basically uh, take a look at the five subsets of Tau, of the Tau species and create the caste system. Now, what that does is, is that it fundamentally focuses all five of the castes to perform generally, you know, and, and, and again, we, we kind of all know this, but the plains-dwelling Tau become the warrior caste, which dedicates the rest of the century uh, pacifying 
what can best be described as super predators that are uh, still on the planet uh, that hunt Tau all the way up to their uh, colonization of space. Uh, we have the water cast, which is the direct, you know, they, they are the evolution of uh, the traders and diplomats and things like that, basically the middle people. Uh, the valley dwellers become the earth cast and the mo one of the most important during this period because they uh, industrialize the planet. And the air cast, which eventually comes into their own and uh, migrates uh, to zero G uh, communities in space and form the forefront of what we'll eventually call the, uh, you know, the Tau fleet. Uh, the ethereals themselves uh, remain isolated from the other populations as they were uh, in the previous uh, centuries and uh, form a kind of management branch, um, which we'll get to. But, you know, you hear caste system and, you know, you immediately think about, well, you know, and, and, and by the way, Games Workshop is not short on saying, you know, words like restrictive and, and things like that. And so, you know, we, we, we get this, again, most of the listeners are, are probably uh, at least aware of Western society. You know, you, you hear the word democracy and generally speaking, it has positive connotations uh, versus a dictatorship, right? Um, even though if you look at the etymology of both, we don't really follow democracy in the West and dictatorships don't have the track record uh, into ancient history uh, that we would say, you know, wasn't uh, an, un an unnecessary uh, aspect of human civilization. You know, it's not, it hasn't always been, uh, you know, uh, uh, Germany circa the 1940s. So, you know, these are nuanced terms, but you hear caste system and you immediately think, well, I don't have any freedom, right? I'm, I'm born into an aspect of society and I'm stuck, right? And of course you are, and I won't uh, I won't detract away from that reality in 40K either when it comes to the Tao. However, I would like to take this moment to remind uh, the listener that in the other factions, um, let, let's, let's just very quickly look at the three major ages of the galaxy. The first age would have been the age of the old ones. Now, the Old Ones were an ancient race that basically uh, instigated life across the galaxy. They had a calamitous war against the Catan and Necron tier, which would later be turned into the Necrons. And they uh, died out as, uh, as, a, as a power, perhaps as a species. Uh, we know that it was they who initially created the Eye of Terror. Um, that's, uh, that's a new, uh, little bit of a kind of a spoiler in, in newer... Uh, lore, but if you take a look, you'll see. Um, then they stitched it back up. Uh, a lot of fan theories think that that was the initial birthplace of the Enslaver Plague, which uh, which kind of wiped out all higher thinking life. It's the reason why the Necrons uh, went into dormancy. Um, now, <clears throat> out of those ashes, uh, you have the Eldar, who uh, who then form their dominion. Uh, it's it's known as the, sometimes it's known as the High Dominion. Uh, and the Eldar uh, come into their uh, come into power, and then around millennium, I believe twenty eight, uh, perhaps twenty five. Uh, I, I, I I'm off the top of my head, but uh, through the actions of uh, depravity and, and so on and so forth, they birth their own extinction, which is uh, Slanesh, right? So they go out of power. Um, you know, I could, I could, I could say that the old ones probably uh, were desperate, but the Eldar definitely are victims of their own hubris. 
their own uh, belief belief in their uh, uh, kind of the the impossibility of anybody ever being able to challenge them, and and, and of course how they then treated everybody like that results in uh, their their downfall. And now finally, uh, the Imperium of Mankind, which effectively never gets back on its feet after Millennium 30, 31, uh, with the Horus Heresy. You know, we have the loss of this uh, golden, uh, this perceived golden age uh, that humanity was going to kind of reclaim uh, in the form of the Emperor. Uh, and, <clears throat> and, uh, and the, and basically mankind starts falling. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very long fall. We're never going to see the end of it, obviously, unless, uh, I don't know, Disney buys 40K or something. <laughs> uh, but, but, but it's, you know, humanity basically fails as being the, uh, new caretakers of, uh, galactic dominancy. Okay. So how does that relate to the caste system? Well, he, uh, the Tao have their own version of the fall, um, and that is the Age of Manta, uh, which you know, literally translates into like Age of Death. Um, and in this, and in this age, where they were facing their own extinction, they turned it around. No one else has done that in forty k, and this is actually commented on in uh, Fehavari's works, uh, I believe Firecast specifically, uh, where. Or it might be actually Sanctuary of Worms. Hmm. I'm going to have to look that up. But in Fehavari's work, uh, there is a water cast envoy that specifically brings up the fact that they, you know, that his people uh, deserve to inherit the stars because whereas everybody else has fallen or is in a state of falling uh, and, you know, discounting the orcs, which are never going to build anything long enough to stand, let alone fall, uh, and, well, Tyranids, um, you know, they, they, they've got, they've, they've, they've figured it, they've figured out how society should work. And this is exemplified in the notions of the greater good. And what better way to organize your society than by determining that everybody has a place. So the word caste might have a negative connotation for human beings, but remember, these are not human beings. Um, you know, and this is expanded upon extensively uh, in the uh, the Xeno sections of the old Death Watch RPGs. Uh, Tau don't, you know, Tau are naive individually. Uh, they don't, they don't have notions of sarcasm, for example. Uh, they have very bad senses of humor um, because they believe you when you say something, kind of uh, preternaturally, you know. Um, and that's because their society is just. Uh, focused, whereas humanity, and I'm speaking for real-world humanity and the humanity that has been created by the developers at Games Workshop, is very unfocused. It's very scattered. It's very, uh, everybody's kind of going in their own direction. And as a result of that disunity, uh, you have things like, you know, the haves and the have-nots, uh, and you have people exist subsisting on, you know, the bodies of their own friends and family in the form of corpse starch, which is industrialized cap uh, cannibalism. So, you know, is that the pot calling the kettle black? Yeah, a little bit. But I'd like to try to get us to an understanding that as we describe the caste system, um, it is not top down. Uh, the best example I can give is in the recent uh, Wrath and Glory uh, uh, RPG, which has just released uh, 
is uh, basically a book on on Xenos, which covers, I believe, Orcs, Eldar, but um, obviously for the purposes of this podcast, most importantly, the Tau. Uh, a a group of Tau have uh, been lost in in the uh, the 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 bad side of the galaxy, uh, Nile, uh, Imperium Nihilus, and an Earth cast uh, feel we has been elevated beyond a feel vrai. Uh, or actually even a Fio L, uh, to lead uh, his cast's initiatives to try to figure out how to get back home because his willingness to think outside of the box and to go against, let's call it like traditional uh, technological values because he's Earthcast, right? Um, being a Fio La, Ui, Chasso, you know, all of these things, you know, we immediately want to apply like a hierarchy to it, but... But that hierarchy does not really, it, it, it's, it's almost like a guidepost, right? And these guideposts are ignored from time to time uh, in order to get a job done. Uh, the same thing can be said for the caste system. The caste system is extremely important to uh, the history of the Tao people. By focusing the various uh, proto-castes, uh, you have a, a thousand-year period of growth um, the likes of which the galaxy has never seen, so much so that they think that somebody else has got to be helping them. Uh, and I'm not talking about the uh, the ion technology from the Leagues of Votan. I'm talking about, like, surely somebody is pulling the strings because how could a species that 2,000 years ago were, you know, scrabbling around rocks uh, now has uh, interstellar craft? So it's it's wondrous, right? And that is done through... The power of this focus that was gained where humanity, the Eldar, and the Old Ones have all failed. And that was done specifically with the caste system. Now, what is the caste system? Uh, okay, well, yes, there are hard borders to each of the castes. You are not allowed to mate outside of your caste. But generally speaking, Tau don't view mating in the same way that humans do. Um, uh you know, and 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 uh, this isn't going to become a phys- you know philosophical conversation of why people should or shouldn't have babies. But in the Tao Commonwealth, people have babies uh, to form family units, of which they uh, you know we see examples of. I, my go-to for uh, Tao parentage is Last of Kira's line or Darkness in the Blood, in which you see Tao actually forming family units. Uh, but generally speaking, they 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 also do communal uh, raising, and they do care a lot about their children. Um, it's noted in Gladius the game, uh, which is an okay, you know, pretty cool game. Uh, I, I haven't uh, haven't played it that much, but it has a lot of Tau lore in there, uh, specifically about the fourth sphere, and uh, in it it expresses how much the Tau. Uh, protect civilian centers, you know, and and not just their own, but those of their allies, uh, and and their and their dubiousness of engaging civilian centers. So, uh, and we can see that in Agrellin when Shadow Sun is ordered by Anva to attack a hive world, uh, they see the results, you know, of what it's like to fight in, on a, on a planet with literally trillions of civilians, uh, and a lot of Tau become. Uh, uh, well, well, they they start experiencing extremely low morale at the fact that they're ordered to engage the Imperials, uh, basically while there are you know buildings and spires filled with uh, innocent people, and it you know really does a number on the Tau. 
um, specifically Shadow Sun in her reflections. So, so there are these borders, though, that exist between the castes, and you are not allowed to mate beyond them. But mating in the Tao are, are, is more of about a duty thing. And that's because the caste system has produced something you know, very rare, even in just regular science fiction stories, in that uh, we call, it is a, effectively a post-scarcity society. And what is post-scarcity? So that means that everybody has a job. You know, there's no there's no homelessness, and if there is, it's you know statistically very low uh, to the point where you know it it hasn't been examined at least not canonically. Uh, there is uh, a high more uh, you know high standards of living uh, by you know what uh, if you compare it to uh, let's say the Imperium, right? Uh, potable water, uh, entertainment, downtime. Uh, you know, the Tao have entertainment they have uh they go they you know they for, for some reason and this is a leftover from third edition uh back uh during uh I, I believe it was i think perhaps the uh german white dwarf but there was a you know kind of a short story about how much the Tao love puppet shows um again they're kind of a naive people so uh unless you like puppet shows no judgment um <clears throat> but the Tao do have downtime uh, they don't sleep as much as humans do, and they, you know, have uh, relatively short lifespans, uh, living about sixty years. But they retire at forty, um, which means that they experience between fifteen and twenty years of retirement. So a post scarcity society is not. It might sound utopian, but there are sacrifices to it, and that means not everybody gets to have kids. Um, that's why there is this. Uh, uh, progenitor uh, program in uh, that the Tao have in which uh, I would imagine that you know perhaps 80 20 um, people are paired with others to have children uh, that just meet uh, the best criteria uh, and and then of course that word eugenics comes up where a lot of people have a problem with that um, that's because of humanity's own uh, experience with eugenics but if we're by you know if we if we have a society, uh, which in the form of the Tao, that did not have those eugenics programs uh, that, you know, let's just say that exist exclusively in 40K, you know, the, uh, the, the you know, barbarian uh, kingdoms of uh, Dark Age Terra uh, performed eugenics and uh, look at the uh, ever-evolving nightmare that is the Krieg. You know, eugenics is a frightening, uh, is a frightening word, but not amongst the Tao. You know, who don't, uh, by the way, uh, don't perform, uh, at least that we're aware of, uh, biological, you know, uh, manipulation. Um, that I think that that's viewed as a kind of form of cheating because the Tao uh, have a kind of a really unusual uh, culture of meritocracy in which, you know, you can't, you know, that, would, that, would, that would be going against the rules. You have to, you know, you can't do that. Similar to the Krut, actually. Maybe we'll get to that at some point. But the Tao have this caste system. Everybody has it, their place. Everybody has uh, 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 a mission statement. And all of this is kept by, by, by trying to perfect the balance between them. And the people that are really responsible for that balance are the ethereals. Now, I'm not saying that the ethereals get to get a carte blanche like excuse to do anything. But in every actual example that we have, short of... You know the Farsight books. 
every example that we have of the ethereals is that they make they make the decision almost every time when it comes to the trolley problems of their society they determine who's going to live they determine who's going to die they determine who's going to uh, what's going to maintain this balance and i would say that a a, sh a very uh a very close second to this idea of the greater good which you know by definition is uh, this umbrella term for, uh, you know, the hope that as many sentients in the galaxy or even the, even in the universe, uh, this, this idea that all of them are going to have, uh, you know, as good a life as possible, which that, that is the definition of the greater good. Um, I would say that balance is the thing that the Tao are most uh, concerned with and the thing that trips them up the most. Uh, again, going back to Favari's works, when you see... Uh, the lack of an ethereal, you start seeing whoever is the dominant caste. In in the case of Faravari, it's the water caste. In the case of Farsight, it's the fire caste. Uh, when you when you get another another person behind the wheel, that's when Tao society starts to just turn back into what it was in that age of Montauk. Uh, it, it, it starts making decisions irrationally. It starts confusing itself. It starts not being sure what is the best course of action. And, uh, and this is specifically, if you want to see it happening in real time, in uh, Wrath and Glory, uh, which the dominant factor is a, is a Chassel, uh, she is uh, trying to instill the council system that exists for the Tau, which you know incorporates... Uh, the uh, the member species, the auxiliary races, as well as the caste system, and she is uh, she is failing uh, to maintain that balance, and more and more often, she is uh, her name by the way is uh, Chassel Yeldi uh, Orowan. She is reluctant to the fact that every now and again she pulls rank, and she worries that she is becoming, you know, a little bit more like that uh, boogeyman, uh, Commander Farsight, you know. Uh, so this is, you know, and this is a really good example of where you get good grim, dark decisions being made by, by Tao. However, generally speaking, as a whole, Tao society makes, uh, makes its best decisions when it has the balance of the ethereals that weigh what all, you know, weigh the data that's coming in. You know, I, I've said this before, the ethereals are very much like human resources if human resources actually worked at a corporation. You know, they're supposed to the weigh and consider and set a mandate for a company, uh, but they also respect the fact that everybody, uh, everybody has a job. Again, going back to that uh, notion of hierarchy, the Tao don't really have a hierarchy uh, in the same way that uh, is instantly available to understand. A Shasla listens to a Shasui because a Shasla doesn't have the uh, military experience or, or, or at least the military acumen to understand what it means to be in charge of a team of people. Uh, a Shasui, meanwhile, will probably listen to a Shasvray for the same reasons. However, it is not at all uncommon for Shasla, uh, especially veteran Shasla, because remember, it, it's not about age, it's about experience and then the ability to pass... Uh, a trial by fire, which happens every four years, um, or at least it can happen every four years. That doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it will. Um, but 
you know, they're they're very likely forty, you know, forty year old Shasla. And so, and those individuals are are often placed in 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 leadership positions to control the unit that they're in, um, or in the example given in Wrath and Glory, where a where a Fio, uh, a Fio Yui, uh, is <clears throat> is turned into uh, the person in charge of uh, of the the responsibility for getting the Tao home. So, it it comes to this idea of merit versus hierarchy. The caste system is a place of mandates rather than just shoving the ethereals on top in a in a pyramid scheme, right? Yes, you will never become an ethereal if you were born an air caste member. But that doesn't mean that the ethereal uh, gets to tell you what to do all the time. It is just assumed that they must know how to manage this thing called uh, called the Commonwealth because that's their job. Uh, an air caste member is probably, you know, an ethereal is not going to tell an air cast member how to fly a ship, right? They might, theoretically, but generally speaking, the, the best person for the job is the person who's been trained their whole life to do it. So, and and the ethereals have just been trained their whole life. We've never even seen uh, uh, an on-law, you know, a low-ranking ethereal. Uh, I'm even using the, <laughs> I'm humanizing it right now by saying low-ranking uh it has a negative connotation to it, but there that negative connotation doesn't exist for the Tao. Just because you are a Shasla doesn't mean that you are expendable. You know, no more so if you are uh, a, a member, uh, an alien, you know, a member of an alien species uh, that is that is an auxiliary race. I mean, but even that word auxiliary sounds like and you see it all the time. People say it's like, well, you know, the crude are just fodder. Meanwhile, almost every written example we have is that the that the crude and Tao. Uh, are extremely close to each other. They have a bond that is, in some ways, uh, almost complementary to each other, despite their differences. Um, you know, so so now we have a caste system. That caste system, by the way, is not is not enforced upon other species. I should say that alien species do have an affinity for the caste system. Uh, so for example, the Crute are very close with the fire cast and they share, they share a bond. The Vespid, uh, share a bond with, uh, with the, with the fire cast that, uh, and again, the, the Vespid are a fascinating species. I wish I, every, you know, every time we get more information about them, we get further away from this idea that they're just being mind controlled. Uh, obviously it's always, you know, there's always the specter of that still there, but, uh, you know, uh, Hinks, Darius Hinks wrote this great uh, Lieber Xenologist book that that uh, you know a crude eats the brain of a Vespid and experiences their past and it's not a it's not a slave like the the Vespid is not a a, a drone or and and by the way everybody that serves with the Vespid says that they're they're the you know they're the person that you want to have your back they will they will sacrifice everything. For uh, to make sure that you know you, you survive, and this Vespid does um, for this crute, um, and that crute, uh, as it experiences the memories of the Vespid, uh, knows that the Vespid is melancholy because the old ways are going away as the Vespid become closer and closer to the Tau. Which, by the way, you know is 
you know, several hundred years now. I, I think, I believe something close to 300 or even 400 years old, the relationship. Meanwhile, the Crute are, are uh, more than double that uh, and have been a part of uh, the Commonwealth for thousands of years uh, towards the uh, end of the first sphere expansion. So... So the Vespid uh, are, are, are honored so much when it comes to the Firecast that they actually work alongside the Crisis Suits, which, um, you know, the Crisis Suits are, 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 are not just, uh, are, are not like tanks. They, they're, they're, if anything, they're more like, you know, how Space Marines view Terminators. They're positions of honor um, and, uh, and, are, and, and, and are, are regarded as uh, kind of uh, exemplars of the Code of Fire. So... But then you've got, you know, the Charpactin, you know, which is this like fungal growth people that work very closely with uh, the water cast. You've got the Nagi, uh, these mind worms, uh, very dangerous, uh, went to war with the Tau briefly, um, but now uh, ethereals are, are bonded to them uh, very often as advisors. Uh, you have the Brachura, um, which are closely connected to the earth cast, these uh, little miniature crab people. Uh, I would like to know how large they are because crab person makes me think it could be a hermit crab, and I hope they're not that small because that's just too cute. But uh, the Brachyria, uh, they they are really good at making plasma systems, you know, uh, and work very closely with the Earth cast. Uh, the Nikasar work very closely with the Air cast. Uh, they are a uh, they are a void born species. They don't really go into uh, gravity wells unless you read the sh the newest shadow sun book which i have my opinions on uh and then finally humanity and humanity is perhaps the most interesting because as i've said before uh, earlier in this episode you know humanity has lost its place in it it, it has fallen as a society just like the eldar uh, they are they are in their fall right now um but it seems like if I were, you know, if I were to future cast and think, you know, Warhammer 50K, I would say that humanity uh, picks up the mantle of the greater good in a way that no other species can, not even the Tau really can. Um, <clears throat> because one, they have the numbers uh, there. And I think I've said this before, there are likely more uh, humans after uh, Agrelin and Chalnath uh, and the, uh, and 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 uh, uh, the expansions of the fifth sphere. Uh, there are probably more humans working amongst the Tau uh, than there are Tau than, than there are Tau, uh, and that and 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 probably have uh, a, a wide variety of cultures since humans have been working with the Tau for the last three hundred years or more. Um, you know, you have a and and you have a very wide variety of cultures doing that. Uh, as well. Tau living amongst the spheres, Tau operating on the borders, uh, as, uh, humans that have been assimilated or in the process of assimilation, you know, things like that. Um, and they really plug into all aspects of the caste system. But again, that caste system is not something that is applied or forced on other aliens. So, so what is it like living in the Tau Commonwealth? Uh, well, and I think that this starts getting, uh, this starts stepping, uh, tiptoeing, if you will. Um, it starts tiptoeing into the fourth sphere. The Tao have really, and this is something, again, that I, I wish that I could, I wish I could speak to a lot of the people 
that end up uh, balking at uh, the notions of the Tao being the good guys. Um, you know, the Tao were definitely walking the line uh, circa the first and second sphere. Let's let's call it that the golden age of the Tao. They really solved all of their problems. They defeated several orc waz. They uh, they buffet. You know, they they basically uh, managed to div- uh, stall and 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 eventually stop the juggernaut that is an imperial crusade. Uh, they rebounded. You know, they cleared their space of orcs. The first and second spheres are 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 really just they're the they're the best of times, right? And this is where I would say you know Tao orthodoxy uh, is at its strongest. And what and and you know obviously orthodoxy has its own connotations, right? In this instance, it's uh, it's its most liberal. Uh, the greater good is for everybody, you know, until they finally give up on the orcs and. And, and that, by the way, to this day, is regarded as one of the greatest uh, defeats of the water cast. The, because the water cast couldn't figure out how to, what makes the orc brain tick, they weren't able to convince the orcs to join with them. You know, uh, It's very telling about the, the, the mindset of the water cast, right? Um, but but in, in this period everybody is 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 welcome you know they still don't know what a hive planet really is they can't understand the vastness of the imperium this is this is this is the when when they are also at their most naive um well after the damocles gulf crusade uh the let's, let's call it the first one um the tau spend about 200 to 250 years really learning about what 40k is or the 40k universe is uh the you know this and i include farsight in that i mean this is when we get some of his best quotes right like uh, we will inherit uh the stars even if we have to drown them in blood you know farsight's (laughs) i know a lot of people think of farsight because of the of the farsight the latter farsight books uh as a as you know some kind of good guy or freedom fighter or something like that uh uh I don't think so. I think he's more of what happens when you give Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now uh, an entire, you know, an entire brigade rather than just like a, you know, squad of Marines. Um, Farsight is your grimdark Tau. You know, he commits exterminatus. He uh, wipes out uh, population centers. Uh, he fights wars of wars of attrition. You know, by, by the time he had reclaimed the area known as the Farsight Enclaves, uh, he'd lost fifty percent of his operational forces, which is a common theme if you go back and 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 especially if you listen to one of the episodes about Shadow Sun. I go into how Farsight is just categorically a bad uh, field commander. He's an excellent frontline commander. Uh, should have probably stayed at the rank of Chassel, uh, but that's another conversation. So between the second and third spheres, it's just a it's basically a giant learning period. Um, and and the Tao, as we see, you know, in books like Fire Warrior um, or uh, Kill Team by Gav Thorpe, uh, you see them trying to maintain the peace and failing, by the way. Um, they're in Broken Sword. It really expands that, they, that, you know, or it not really expands, but it alludes to almost like a Cold War era mentality that the Tao have that. They know that the ceasefire at, at Dalif is is not 
uh, was not worth it. Uh, was not worth the paper it was printed on or the hollow screen it was, I don't know, uh, lit on. <laughs> uh, but but you, you, you basically, you have them reconciling the fact that war is going to come. You know, the Imperium is way bigger than they thought it was, but it's also way dumber, uh, way more sluggish. And every uh, Imperial player from here to Timbuktu will say uh, that, you know, at any point in time, the Imperium could crush the Tau. Uh, I think that there is a growing sentiment that that's clearly not the case, since every single time the Imperials have tried to do something like that, uh, they have failed. And kind of catastrophically, might I add. It's not, it's, it's not, it, it doesn't, it, it's not easy going. But... But I'm off on a tangent, as I, I normally get. But this, uh, at the end of the second, uh, the second sphere and the resulting Age of Confederacy that happens after that, which is that 250-year lull period, you really do have the Tao wisening up, uh, especially with the awakening of Shadow Sun, who dedicates several years to realizing that it's only a matter of time before the Tao, out of survival's sake, are going to have to start expanding into imperial space. Now that word survival, right? Like um, I got into it with somebody once about how uh, you know uh, aggressive empires have since in all franchises franchises since time immemorial have justified their expansions, right? And 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 to to make them legal, right? Oh, we have a population of people over there who want us to come, you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, the Tao do have that. They do do that. They do create populations of like-minded individuals who want to join uh, the Tao Va and, uh, and, and use that as their, uh, you know, it, very much like a vampire, uses that person to uh, invite them in, right? <clears throat> now, these people sometimes are the ruling class, but more often than not, they are the downtrodden class, like in the case of, uh, well, a ghrelin, where... You know, during the invasion, you had massive popular revolutions happening all over the planet in almost every hive. So, um, but there is something that is from third edition that, uh, and, and the Battlefleet Gothic uh, expansions that should be remembered. And that is the Tau inhabit an area of 300 light years. It's a stellar cluster of, uh, you know, of a few hundred stars uh, not all of them have planets around them. Um, you know, I believe the count, you know, was just under a hundred colonized worlds uh, before the expansion, uh, the third sphere expansion. Uh, those numbers I will cross-reference. But a globular cluster, uh, especially in the in the forty k universe, is like a speed bump. You know, um, not just for any number of eldritch or alien horrors that will just come in and eat your planets, eat your stars, eat your children. Um, you could just have a run-of-the-mill supernova go off and it'll blow up a, a, a stellar cluster, you know, within a few you know, stellar hours. So the Tau know that they need to expand, otherwise their way of life and their species could die out in, in an accident, never mind a military engagement. So that, coupled with the fact that they're dealing with the Imperium, 
and that the Imperium clearly does not care about the Treaty of Delif. The timeline is rife with Adeptus Mechanicus assaults on Tau colonies, space marines landing, uh, uh, a Death Watch assault that killed a bunch of uh, killed a bunch of children. You know, like 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 the Imperium uh, and the agents of the Imperium do, do not care uh, for. Uh, the, let's call it like going back to the table and negotiating things, their default setting is kill. So when your neighbor, uh, you know, is that, and your neighbor is at at any point, just as every Imperial enthusiast will say, uh, you know, could destroy your society on a whim, uh, and every now and again likes to remind you uh, by, you know, killing your dog, keeping to the neighbor a- a- analogy, you know, poisoning your dog, cutting a tree down, crashing into your fence, things like that, eventually enough is enough. And that comes in the form of the book Firewarrior when an ethereal uh, is kidnapped and brought to the Imperial Bastion world of Dalamar. Now, this is part of a greater chaos. Uh, you know, I, it's been 20 years, but spoiler alert, it's part of a greater chaos uh, conspiracy to ignite a war between the Imperium and the Tau, and it basically works. But if we stitch that to fourth edition and the launch of Shadow Sun's third sphere, it is that is the that is the wick, right? That's the that's the fuse. It's over. The gloves are coming off. And I really do wish that Tau players, as well as Imper- our Imperial counterparts, would realize that the Tau have weathered 250 years of assault and are now like are now like, okay, let's go to war. Let's do the war thing. And that is what they're doing right now. The last 20 years, give or take, uh, the last 20 years has been one of constant warfare with the Imperium. Yes, you've had, you know, some spats, I guess you'd call it, with, uh, with you know, forces of chaos, with some Eldar, some remnant Tyranids here and there, things like that. But really, the main focus of the Tau is to engage and fight the Imperium. Everybody always has this understanding, this kind of belief that the Tau would eventually like see Gilliman or any of the uh, Imperial commanders as like a, you know, as, as a, a worthy, di- you know, uh, negotiation or something like that. And I always say that that is no longer the case. The Tau are actively trying to bring the Imperium down. Okay, so to go back to the title uh, of this uh, of this episode, what is life like in the Commonwealth? Well, it's very different. In that first and second sphere, life was probably really awesome. Morale was super high. Uh, the belief in manifest destiny for the Tau was probably at you know a hundred percent, and to be an ally with the Tau at this time was probably fantastic. You know. If you, if you think about it on a local level, they are pushing back the orcs and eventually reducing the threat of that species exponentially. Uh, you have the encountering with the Leagues of Votan, but you know, let's just call it the Suryatok and Therm Brotherhoods at the time. Uh, and even though they won't join, they'll trade. And they trade wondrous and advanced technologies like... Like you have terraforming projects going on. You have you even have the beginnings of stellar engineering happening. Like it is a good time for the Tau in the first and second spheres, you know? Even when they realize that the orcs can't join or the Tyranids won't join, you know, things like that, they are still at the height 
of their uh, morale. Now the Damocles Gulf comes in and basically ends that ends that opinion, uh, and you have bad years. That you know that post uh, scarcity society probably takes a major hit, um, at least for the Dalith Sept. You know the Dalith Sept, which we know the most about out of all of the Septs, is something like I think eighteen different worlds, eighteen different colonies. Never mind Dalith Prime. Uh, at least four different star systems. You know, it's, it's, it's enormous. And when the Damocles Gulf smashes into it, it, it actually does a lot of damage, not just to Dalith Prime, but all of these uh, other, <clears throat> these other uh, population centers. Uh, the rebuilding of that is, uh, is only briefly touched upon in the Codex, but is described as, uh, you know, a lot of alien races had to come in and help rebuild. Now, through the you know negotiating powers of the water cast, uh, they got it at a at a discount. But but what follows in the Age of Confederacy, which is a resurgence of the orcs, um, almost directly as a result of the actions of Commander Farsight, which by the way, Farsight also disappears at this time period after about forty years of campaigning. Um, you have a you have a really you have a, you have a the lowest point of morale for the Tau. They've lost their celebrity, which is Commander Farsight. Uh, Commander Puritide has died. Uh, Anway, the predecessor of Anva, uh, retires and disappears. Um, <clears throat> the orcs are back. The Imperium isn't playing by the rules, you know. This is a sobering period, 250 years of realizing the galaxy is actually a much darker place. Uh, a much more bleak place. The discovery that not all the crew have joined, that there, there, there are wayward crew out there that are still serving as mercenaries. And I mean, the Tau already have pretty harsh opinions about them eating people. Well, it looks bad if your best friend is a cannibal, right? It, it actually hurts your ability to, go, to negotiate, you know? Um, so... Um, and, and at the end of all of this, of course, yeah, you have the, you have the, the, the first big introduction of Tyranids, which is High Fleet Gorgon, which takes a, ch- takes a bite out of like a, a sixth of your, of the territories of the Commonwealth. The Zone of Silence are dozens of planets and star systems that have been picked clean and are, and are now dead. Uh, what was going to be a sept is gone. And, uh, you know, and, and, and. And then, of course, at the end of that, you have a bunch of Imperials showing up in the form of the Cadians, who, uh, due to vagaries of the warp, arrive late to the Damocles Gulf Crusade, uh, and they start the Iron Hammer campaign, which is the bloodiest period up until the Third Sphere between the Tau and the, and, the, uh, and the Imperium. And that came out of nowhere, you know? So it's, I think that to live in that time was pretty rough. The... And, and 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 the ethereals even have a term for it, which is called the time of questioning, and they really rally behind the awakening of Shadow Sun and realizing, you know what, we've got to we've got to take the gloves off. So then the third sphere happens, and what's the third sphere? Well, you know, the third sphere is the first of its kind. The second sphere and the first sphere were expansion periods, really centered around colonization, uh, diplomacy, um, defensive war. You know, the third sphere is aggressive offensive war. If you want to call it uh, by something out of the Codex, this is uh, Montka. You know, this is this is a time 
where the Tao use everything that they know how to do, plus the resolve that it's time to kill the Imperium, basically. You know, they're not trying to find Terra. It's not like that. But if it when it comes to the Eastern Fringe, it, there's there's no longer going to be this idea that the Imperium can like throw in the white flag or the towel or whatever and say, okay, actually, we we, we really have to pay attention to you know High Fleet Kraken or oh, there's there's chaos. Uh, something called the Black Crusade is launching and it's attacking Cadia. We'll just you know let's sign a non-aggression pack and and have another two hundred and fifty years. Uh, of what is a bullshit treaty the tower done with that and so i would imagine that the tower specifically of the third sphere are no longer naive you know and are no longer living in a post-scarcity society they are living you know in hardy times <clears throat> they are making hard decisions but you know, well, and I guess kind of drifting away from that orthodoxy, that Talva orthodoxy. Not everybody belongs in the greater good. Maybe, you know, dare I say it, maybe Farsight was right. You know, that radicalism of Farsight. Maybe he's correct. Maybe, you know, maybe Brightsword was right. Uh, that, you know, we have to stop trying to negotiate with these humans. First of all, there's too many of them. Let's start annihilating their population centers, which is what Brightsword did just before he was brought back to Tau and chastised. And, uh, you know, it's assumed that he went through the Makla ritual, which, you know, is kind of like a, a public shaming. A lot of people used to think it was suicide. It's not. So this age of orthodoxy is, is diminishing. Radicalism is probably being adopted a little bit more. An Va, kind of sensing this, goes to the front line, something that an ethereal prime has never done. And... Uh, and he goes and, 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 and starts calling the shots for the fire cast. And that, that's a big mistake. And the fire cast, by the way, uh, really doesn't like it, uh, specifically, starting with Shadowsun. And, uh, and when he does that, uh, big mistakes start being made. Uh, atrocities start being committed. Uh, not necessarily on purpose, but just accidental. Um, Shadow Sun is not a Montca commander. It'd be like asking a basketball player to play football. You know, it's just a... It's a still going to be able to perform but uh but not at the not not at the level that they need to uh, shadow sun makes a lot of mistakes um you know she destroys an entire planet over a ghrelin one of its moons shatters um you know they don't really know how to handle this giant population so they start building co concentration camps uh which horrifies the fire cast themselves uh <clears throat> probably horrifies a lot of their allies um, and probably sows a lot of doubts, you know, which we'll get to uh, momentarily. The Tau of the Third Sphere, you know, are, are not just at Agrelin, though. They're, they're also in the, you know, they're in the northwestern reaches, right? You have Kissimien, Firios. Uh, you know, theoretically, you have Nimbosa, uh, which I believe is retaken after back and forth, you know, five or six times. Uh, you have the expansions... Uh, in the south from Tashvar that, that uh, start uh, perforating the border of the realm of Ultramarts, what the, what the show Exodite is about. Um, you, have, you, have a, you, have, you know, the third sphere is not in an isolated area. It's everywhere. Um, it's, it's a giant push outward. A great map to reference is the uh, fourth edition, the second Tau Codex, uh, what a lot of people call the Covenant Tau Codex, uh, or at least what I'm going to start calling it now because it's, 
makes sense. <laughs> uh, but you have you have a map that shows all of the directions that the third sphere went into, um, and it is a a massive, you know, multi light year spanning front. That Shadow Sun is why uh, I have an episode dedicated to the fact that Shadow Sun needs to get more props because she's basically got the uh, administrative acumen of a Primarch, you know, probably not as good as Gilliman, but definitely up there. So these Tau, though, are not are not abandoning the Talva. In fact, two thirds of all of the gains are done diplomatically, um, and we can assume that most of these are human worlds. I mean, in the case of Ferios, it's a it's a it's an orc it's an orc world. Uh, but Kissimien is fired without is, is taken without a shot basically um, through the help of uh, what's assumed to be several rogue traders which have been working with the water cast to kind of pave the way. Um, but these are these are these are more grim Tau. Uh, they've had to do things. They've had to see things. In fact, the third sphere ends kind of catastrophically with the Zeist campaign when uh, I am Cato Sicarius Sicarius. Uh, uh, sweeps in with you know leading a chapter strength worth of uh space marines into the zeist sex sector and basically uh halts the third sphere expansion and, and kind of grinds it to a halt now shadow's unprepared for this but at the sacrifice and again going back into what it is when a society is dedicated to the greater good willingly sacrificed basically what could be said is her left hand to strike out and you know score the 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 you know the 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 final blow for a huge swath of imperial space while everybody was you know kind of focused on this area that she decided she didn't really need um it's a it's a brutal game of mathematics right but it's one that it's one that everybody in this society gets on board with you know you can't do it all the time and the tau don't like losing life but the third sphere tau are grim and of course all of this uh really formally ends with the near destruction of Mughalath Bay, which is the renamed Agrelin. And the Tau that survived that event, uh, kind of like, a, let's call it a stellar inferno that the Adeptus Mechanicus unleashes on the region, um, <clears throat> you know, they, they survive behind their shields, but they witness the death of a hive world, basically, in which potentially trillions of human beings are killed by their own, along with hundreds of thousands, perhaps more, uh, of Tau personnel that were all over the planet actually trying to terraform the place so that it wasn't such a, you know, godforsaken uh, cesspool. So, you know, if you open your books, you can see that the Tau of Mughalath Bay, and, you know, the planet, by the way, isn't destroyed, and there is a single, the largest hive was protected by the uh, shield systems. Uh, obviously, there's a there's a couple mentions of uh, a ghrelin. There's another source that says it was abandoned. You know, who knows? But there's enough people from a Grelin or Mughalath Bay to still be called a sept. And there's enough outlying worlds uh, that would be part of it. Um, they hate the Imperium. Uh, and that word hate is uh, very rarely used by the Tau because uh, they, you know, the Tau are uh, a species of subdued passions. Um, they're thinking about the bigger picture all of the time. You know, they don't even, they don't even think about prolonging each other's lives longer than the natural course of, uh, of a lifespan because they're, they, they want to pass the torch to the next generation. Um, you know, I've, I've talked about that before. Um, you know, enter the fourth sphere, 
and now I've got to kind of hurry up a little because we are breaching an hour. Um, <clears throat> but the fourth sphere is uh, is is kind of I've never liked it because I don't like thinking of expansion periods uh, in the form of uh, in the form of spheres. It doesn't it doesn't feel right, and, and you can start <laughs> you can start feeling it kind of get a little bit cheaper every time. It's like, oh, is, is this the fifth sphere now? Oh, we're we're going to launch a sixth sphere. Oh, great, you know, and it just doesn't doesn't have the umph right um, that it used to when using that word retcon uh, when back in the day it was. Uh, it was an age, you know, very much how we would regard AD, you know, BCE, things like that. There was the age of the first sphere, the age of the second sphere. It feels kind of quick to call it quits after the third sphere stops. And uh, a couple years later, you, you launch a fourth sphere. Well, this fourth sphere is a single fleet, too, which is also kind of bizarre. But OK, uh, utilizing uh, technologies from crude uh, warp drives uh, and and the wrecks of Imperials uh, Imperial ships um, this gets clunky by the way because it's it's hard to you know it's hard to reconcile the fact that for a time the Tau were believed to not be an FTL species it's an argument for another day but they basically try for a really big jump uh, opening a stable wormhole or, or at least a stable gate to which an entire fleet of Tau can go through. And I'm happy to say that there's actually new information about that uh, in the Wrath and Glory book in which we now know that the Tau opened this and unlike where it says in the, I believe it's our previous codex, uh, it was just <laughs> a dark mitzvah where, um, where they opened the gate uh, and the Cicatrix Maledictum happened at the same exact time, which was always, you know, it's a little bit too, it's too many, uh, too many events happening in the same moment. But, uh, but now we know that the, the fourth sphere was launched and that fleet was lost and that fleet was lost in the warp for an unknown period of time. And that it was in fact the opening of the Cicatrix Maledictum that allowed the fleet to escape. Now, there is no mention of the greater good goddess, and uh, fingers crossed, pinkies and toes, that that is just going to fall by the wayside. I really do hope, because it's not my favorite uh, reason, but, you know, to each their own. Uh, it is just described that once the Maledictum opened, the Fourth Sphere fleet was dumped across the galaxy. Um... Now we can see that in the Gladius game. Uh, we can see that with uh, the, the Blood Angels Codex. You have Tau being deposited right near Ball in the, uh, the, the Crimson Scar uh, Nebula region. Uh, you have the largest uh, population of them being deposited right near Carduniash, uh, which is what will form the, the new fourth, uh, well, the, the, the fifth sphere territories if you're looking at your maps. Um, there are uh, and, and and the Tau that are in the uh, the, the role playing game. <clears throat> uh, the solar system, by the way, is called Gilead, or Gilead, depending on your English. Um, so they that is now the explanation for the scattering of the fourth uh, fourth sphere. And these Tau to live in this Tau society is the most extreme. Uh, this goes even further uh, past Farsight. Uh, these guys witnessed some truly terrible things for an unknown period of time. I mean, time is irrelevant in the warp. 
but they, you know, they witnessed their allies turning on one another, becoming monsters. But notice, no, notably, the Tau were not affected, uh, at least not physiologically, definitely psycho- psychologically, uh, by uh, the denizens of the warp, you know. Uh, and and then were subsequently attacked. So who knows this like running battle that must have happened, you know, conceivably for, you know, we, we could just say it generations, you know, in the new uh, the end and the death uh, books. Oh, well, that's a that's a big spoiler. But needless to say, people that go into the warp, it can either be a couple seconds or it can be lifetimes. So who knows actually how long the fourth sphere had you know was in there from their perspective, and conceivably different parts of the fleet could have experienced time at uh, in different ways. You know, uh, basically anything to sort you know to kind of fit the narrative, but at least the Tau that come out at Gil- uh, Gilead um, <clears throat> did not kill all of their auxiliaries, while the majority, the fourth sphere, uh, did. And several years later, when they get linked up with the fifth sphere, uh, which is launched by Commander Sha- uh, Shadow Sun, uh, this is, uh, you know, they, 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 uh, they, they killed so many of their auxiliaries and, and, and committed so many atrocities against their enemies that they actually, the entire leadership, Ethereals, O rank, L rank, everybody basically, is uh, subject to the Makla. Uh, and chastise for what they've done. And even when they continue going forward, I mean, they so much so that they cause re- rebellions to happen amongst the auxiliaries uh, because they are so heavy-handed and so, uh, I mean, they're committing atrocities, uh, that they are sequestered and no longer allowed to uh, uh, work with uh, the auxiliary races. Um, it, <clears throat> you know, to be a Tau in the fourth sphere is is probably to be like, a regular person now exposed to what 40k actually is you know 40k is a nightmare but the immaterium you know that's that's the nightmare factory right so so to be so that brings us and we're we're coming to a close but that brings us to the fifth sphere you know what is it like to be a tau in the present well you've had almost 300 years of unbroken conflict you know uh that orthodoxy has lost a lot of its shine. Yet still, you know, they are, they're trying, right? They, they're trying to make it work. When Shadow Sun shows up in the Chalnath Expanse, she does not send the fire cast, she sends the water cast. And the water cast manages to convince several planets to, uh, to let them in. And they start helping, and you can see this in the Kill Team game, they start helping with like the administrative administrative uh, administrative uh, uh, aspects of trying to get resources to people. You know, this is a hive planet; it's not going to be easy. Actually, I think technically it's also a fortress planet too, another fortress world. So they're not tr- they're not abandoning their the and and perhaps this is the this is the last bastion of their naivete, but they're trying to make it work. They're trying. And, and, and I would say that to be a Tau of this time period is to be very much like a Tau fan of this time period uh, in that they are being asked to weather even more now and to kind of smile and take it. Uh, Shadow Sun is now experiencing, you know, 
probably the most devastating uh, setback for the water cast since the orcs, and that is the appearance of Sisters of Battle. And the Sisters of Battle have the ability to basically turn or re return those who have joined the Tau Va. So human populations that join the Tau do so out of desperation of their physical bodies. You know, they need food, they need air, they need, you know, they need protection, they need safety. But then you see some of the stuff that's coming out of the Cicatrix Maledictum, and you start thinking about your immortal soul. Well, maybe not immortal, you know, after they're done with you. And you look on the horizon and you see that there's Sisters of Battle and their giant church ships are showing up and landing. And suddenly being hungry is not as important as, you know, the, the answer to the question of what happens after you die. You know, and probably die pretty horribly. You know, do you want to risk, do you want to risk hell? Do you want to, do you want to risk an eternity of being eaten and re-eaten and eaten again in the Sea of Souls? Probably not. And so these Guevesa are actually turning on their Tao, their Tao allies. Um, and, uh, and I think that hardens your heart. And, uh, and yet Shadow Sun is, you know, still a scion of the, the orthodoxy. You know, remember that orthodoxy is different, right? That, that orthodoxy actually is, is pretty liberal minded. You know, this idea that the greater good is for everybody. Um, even, even as the tower pushed further and further and closer and closer to this, to this giant chasm and this, this rift, you know, this <laughs> this philosophical rift, uh, and looking down and seeing that, like, you know, do we give humans another chance or maybe we should start developing biological weapons that wipe out all of humanity, you know, and, and, and yet you still have the leadership of the Tao believing that they can be saved, you know, that you don't have to turn into the monster in order to survive in Warhammer 40k. Um, and that's why I'm so interested in this last Arcs of Omen book that we're going to, looks like we're going to get a re-release of the Farsight model. Um, uh, only the third in the last 22 years. Uh, and, and I'm excited because theoretically, you know, uh, as Shadow Sun looks down, you know, into the abyss, uh, Farsight, who's been living down <laughs> in the darkness... Uh, and surviving he's going to look up and maybe you know just maybe when we start thinking about a sixth sphere because why not maybe there'll be a reconciliation you know between these two different ways of thinking and that we will enter into this new age of Tao where yes they're still naive because they still try but maybe it's time to add another race or two to that list of people that are no longer compatible with the greater good uh like the nightmare machines that have psychologically scarred our fourth sphere uh and are and are running amok in our present um and maybe there'll be you know maybe there'll be a grand a grand reunification you know where once uh, these two philosophical ideas of the greater good split so i'm very hopeful as ever like most tau fans i think most tau fans are always pretty helpful and i'm excited uh, for the first time in a while, uh, to see what, to see how it's handled. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. I know this episode went a little bit longer, but it's been a while since we've, uh, since we've had one, uh, apologies for coughing. I am getting over a cold. Um, but, uh, it's probably, you can hear the, the, 
the frog in my throat and uh, and hopefully I, I managed to mute myself whenever I needed to cough. If I didn't, I will re-edit the, 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 the episode. But to those uh, who showed up uh, for the live uh, broadcast, uh, my apologies. Um, uh, it's great to be back in the seat. I, I hope we get another episode soon. Um, I'll probably do the next one on the Wrath and Glory book because I do uh, really, really like the direction that these authors have gone into. It's very much my uh, my pre- preferred way of depicting uh, our, our, our favorite little blue man. Thanks so much again, and I will see you next time.